So close, and yet so far. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Welcome back to F1 in Review, episode 34. Now, before we get going, a small amount of housekeeping as we have been away for a couple of weeks and you may well be wondering where we've been. Well, unfortunately, the universe conspired against us. I was horrendously ill, completely lost my voice. Obviously not good for a podcast. Angus went off on holiday and uh, Tom is currently wisely spending his time sitting various exams. So a reminder that we do this for fun outside of our careers and our day-to-day jobs. It is a passion project for us. Formula One, very much one of our side passions. And so sometimes life just gets in the way. However, we are back and with housekeeping out of the way, we pick up the F1 story after Mexico and the final sprint race of the season in Brazil. And we begin with, I think, the most surprising topic of this week. I definitely didn't see it coming. Having to fail to finish the race with either cars in Mexico, Aston Martin found themselves super competitive. In Brazil, with Lance Stroll qualifying in third and Fernando Alonso qualifying in fourth. In the race on Sunday, Alonso held off Perez for a photo finish across the line ahead of Perez by 0.053 of a second. Ooh, that's that's not a very big distance. Now, um, taking third place on the podium for Alonso, which was great to see him back up there, and he looked to be as excited as the rest of us were. So, is this the start of an Aston Martin comeback, Angus, or is it just a lucky combination of factors leading to a bit of an anomaly this weekend? I love the idea that they can still have a comeback with two races to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. come back to the top, I guess, rather than uh, anything else. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, to be fair, like at the start of the season, it gave us great hope that they would be one day back at the start and uh, back at the top of the field and be competitive. I say one day. That that team has never really been at the top of the field, but I guess like maybe talking more about Alonso there and his uh, his ongoing quest which seems to go on forever to get that third world championship he's not given up just yet we'll get on to him and how astonishing it is that a 42 year old man is that good at a professional sport especially one as exerting as motor racing but yeah you're right a real um shot in the arm this weekend for aston martin i want to um, attribute some of their success to the big slice of luck uh that they got from qualifying because lest we forget if qualifying had not been uh, delayed due to some bits on the track from the support races, we would never actually have run into that rain, that biblical rainstorm. It would have, it would have come literally right at the end of qualifying. But as it was, it came four or five minutes in. Aston Martin made the most of their laps, and 
ended up third and fourth on the grid. Yeah. And we had Lance we had Lance Stroll do what he sometimes does, where he'll have a few awful weekends in a row and then he'll out of nowhere just do great. Yeah. He qualified third <laughs> qualified third, came fifth. Like that's inexplicable if you look at his season. Yeah, it's but not consistent, is it? <laughs> no, it, yeah, he literally lacks consistency, but he managed to stick it up there. And then Charles Leclerc bins it in the wall and you've got Well that double, wasn't his fault you, though. The the yes. Leclerc wall problem was that was a hydraulic yeah. failure. So I wouldn't say Fair I, enough. I wouldn't say that you know he he didn't do the traditional like overcooked it warming up your tires into the wall. He but. didn't do the binning. the the car The car did the bidding for yeah. him. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but um, yeah. Th- then all of a sudden they're second and third on the grid, um, based on the fact Leclerc is no longer there. Then they absolutely butcher the start. You saw both Aston Martins get sandwiched or swamped by Norris on the inside. Hamilton on the outside. But after that, Mercedes dropped back. Alonso and Stroll got ahead of him. Perez came through and we saw that phenomenal photo finish where like Alonso, you just have to give so much credit for. You can just tell he's so wily and wise and just the way he positions his car and he's just the absolute expert at knowing what to do. Even that final corner of the final lap, you watch it back and Perez Perez goes slightly up the inside into that corner. Now, on first look, it looks you think right. Alonso's gone too wide there. He's 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 not positioned his car correctly. But if you think about it, looking back, he's actually he's allowed almost allowed a little gap, so, uh, uh, enticed Perez to go in there, and then Perez has got a tighter line, which means his his turning circle out out the out the corner isn't as straight, and therefore he loses traction. Mm. Now, mm. I would say that's I would say that's skillful. Personally, um, also, I guess it, on that, yeah. it it shows a difference between the two drivers because one thing we know about Alonso is he can take different lines. If you if you look all the way back after someone break to Zandvoort, Alonso in free practice was going around and he found that there was extra traction on the the lower parts of the track, which would allow him yeah. in the race to take some different lines and get round. What's interesting is. Alonso was finding different lines to beat Perez, but Perez wasn't necessarily looking at Alonso and thinking, right, well, I better do something this time, something different this time to try and get past him. He kept kind of doing the same thing over again and staying behind. Yeah. It's just so wily and so clever. And it really, it's it's been a year where Aston Martin have had a good car for a lot of it, but without Alonso's performance, they would be, well, definitely much more in a battle with Alpine than they would be in a, a battle with McLaren. I find it astonishing that Alonso is in that car. He's still, it's two races to go. He's still in fourth place in the championship. Now, realistically, on pace, he's going to get, I think Norris is probably going to overtake him and so probably is science because they're both within 10 points and they have a faster car. But for Alonso to get just under 200 points in that car and bear in mind, he didn't get a single podium in um, the seventh year like until the start of the season in eight years he got one podium i think which was in qatar with the alpine he'd gone so many years out the sport or with that dog of a mclaren um several times getting no podiums and this year he's stuck it on the podium eight times and he's in a couple of those he had genuine chances to win and to compete and it's just yeah as much as aston martin had a storming weekend and they've given themselves a bit more hope in that battle for fourth with McLaren, although I think there's still a pace deficit to McLaren for sure. And Norris is just on abs- on absolute fire right now. He's on phenomenal form. Despite that, I think, yeah, I th- think it's still a great weekend for Aston Martin. They can take 
great credit for it. You saw how ecstatic the engineers were just when the when he crossed the line. They were just absolutely buzzing, and they probably I mean they haven't experienced that feeling since Sandvoort when they got that podium. They've had a few races where they've been off the pace, especially that uh, double header in you know USA and Mexico. But they really had something to celebrate this weekend, didn't they? They did. I think what's weird about Aston Martin at the moment, though, is you know, Alonso has been saying things like, oh, well, we're mixing and matching upgrades. And Alonso also asked for the, the previous floor, the floor that wasn't upgraded. They brought the upgraded floors and then Alonso, I don't like this. I will go back. We'll go back to the old floor. And so it, whilst it's worked this weekend, clearly it worked. I feel like they're in a, a, they kind of don't necessarily know why. Uh, or if they do know why, then you know they haven't exactly been like, yes, it's all of the fabulous upgrades that we brought. They've been very, very mm. quiet about it, and it is, it is worth you know thinking about whether or not they will be able to continue an upward trajectory. Because I, if, in my opinion at least, a team that doesn't know why they're doing well will find it very difficult to upgrade the car going forward. And bear in mind that they had a lot of engineers come over from Red Bull help them i do find it odd that they are struggling as they are i think it's not too late for aston martin um with their battle with mclaren for fourth place the difference now believe it or not is only 21 points and given that there are two drivers for each team you know a bit of unlucky you know unlucky bit here or dnf there you know could actually switch things around so you know, moving to that second part of the question is, given what Aston Martin have done in the previous race, but also thinking about where they've got you know, as a season on the whole, can you see them challenging McLaren at all? Or is it now just solidifying you know, a good fifth place and maximising their points overall? Yeah, I think solidifying is the best way to do it. I think that you look at them, they've got 261 points, and you think, can they get 300 points by the end of the season? Well, they have to get 20 points each race, the next two, without sprint, so not necessarily possible. I'd say if I was them, you can say at the end of the season that Fernando Alonso has got fourth. If he's got top if he's got top five in the Drivers' Championship in a car which has been fourth or fifth fastest for most of the season, I think that's a hell of an achievement. So I'd almost be focusing on Alonso and getting him higher up in the championship, if that's possible. Um, but yeah, you say, but yeah, solidifying's fair because, I mean, they now have a uncatchable advantage over Alpine. So they're going to be a finish at least fifth, which would be their highest finish for as a team since, I think, 2020, when they had that, the last year they were racing point. So they're already fin- going to finish on a pon- positive regardless. Um, and yeah, probably more about... I agree with you, like con- consolidating, solidifying, because McLaren are probably too quick for them in terms of overall pace, even Norris on his own. So uh, let's think about the drivers one, because one one of the things that kind of happened whilst we were away was a whole load of rumours started swelling up, didn't they, that Fernando Alonso was going to leave. And I mean, I saw some crazy rumours. Oh, he was going to leave and join Red Bull. He was going to leave and join Ferrari again or something like that. And to be honest, I I think I, I even said at the time, I was like, well, actually, do you know what? Why would Fernando Alonso, two-time world champion, one of the best drivers ever, 
Why would he stay at Aston Martin? Because it's a team that's floundering and it's just going backwards. I I was thinking, well, you know, given what they've done in the last half of this year, they may well be even worse last year, next year, eighth or ninth. Why would he want to be there? But mm. with what we've seen in Brazil, do you think Alonso is going to stay? Should he stay in Aston Martin? I mean, the thing for me is that where else does he go? And someone might say, well, Red Bull, duh, because he's been linked there. But like, I think that the whole swirl about Perez and the rumours with him, I think it's gone a bit too far. I think realistically, he will stay. He like he won't he won't go anywhere. Red Bull want to keep him. He doesn't have to finish second in the championship, but it'd be nice if he did. Um, maybe ignore the fact that he's still got less than half the points of Verstappen uh, this season. But I think that's a reflection of how dominant Verstappen has been rather than anything else. Um, and also you've got people saying, oh, well, what if next year they have rivals being closer and as a result um, you need that second driver to gather more points? I still think Red Bull have enough. I think Verstappen is just um, on another level at the moment. So him going to Red Bull, couldn't see. He won't go. He's, the thing is with Alonso, he's burned bridges at so many places. <laughs> In his career, that he went, he's burned, he's burned bridges at Ferrari, McLaren, and Alpine already, um, and Mercedes, like they've got their, they've got their world champion driver, and they've got their future team leader. So for me, unless he forced it, I think if he went into Red Bull, he would seriously destabilize it. I just think he ha- he has that characteristic, and I know at the moment, and this season he's been actually rather calm and sort of. Um, actually a force for good in Aston Martin. Like he was very sort of chummy and uh, pally with Lance Stroll earlier in the season. But I can just see him going into Red Bull and just absolutely tearing things up and going, right, my last ever chance to win the title. I'm in the best car on the grid. Let me see if I can beat this Dutch Titan in Max Verstappen. So I don't see it personally. I think, I swear Alonso has been linked to Red Bull every every September and October for the last 10 years. I feel like that's just a recycled rumour. Well, one day it must be right. Year. That's why. Yeah. It can be yeah, better well, every time. I know. That it's, ironically, uh, one thing which I remember reading was that Alonso was um, back in, this is a long time ago, but before he joined Ferrari back in, the, back in 2010, he was approached to join Red Bull because he'd left Renault and that had gone sour and he turned down Red Bull for Ferrari. So imagine the, uh, imagine the turn of events in history if you'd had uh, a young Sebastian Vettel partnered by prime Fernando Alonso at Red Bull. Yeah. Um, how yeah. different, how differently wow. things might have worked out. But um, yeah, I don't see, I don't see him going to Red Bull. I love the fact, I have to mention this. I love the fact that in the press conference, he referenced pe- um, journalists like stirring up rumours. And he said, without clarifying, he said, um, for those that uh, did the rumours, there will be consequences. Sounds yeah. like some sort of like, gangster threat there. I don't know what I don't know what he's on about, but I'd love to know, strangely. He's gonna bring his wrath. Um yeah, yeah, it was a funny comment. Um yeah, I mean it kind of it's kind of up there with um you know some of the other you know crazies, but crazy things that he's sort of said over the years and done. But I think I think to be honest, I think what he was saying was if you keep putting rumors, you know, maybe in courts and um things like that. I mean, it can't be good as a driver when you're trying to settle into a team and everyone's kicking up stories and rumours and things that you're going to be leaving because 
even if you know they're not true, like your team principal, your mechanics, they can't be sure. No one's ever quite sure what you're thinking. And if I was Alonso, though, to be honest, at the end of the Mexico Grand Prix, I thought, yeah, he's leaving. He, you know, he said that uh, Aston Martin were no longer fighting for anything. I just, what a, what a weird moment, really. I think that's really going to be marked as a low point for the team. You know, double DNF, not fighting for anything. You have, you're off the back of Lance Stroll just failing to get out of Q1 over and over and over, you know, and Lawrence's other favourite son isn't getting much performance out of the car either. You know, it's just, it's just a terrible moment for the team. And so I think what this weekend was a real um, morale boost for them both, both Aston Martin in general and also for uh, Fernando Alonso. I mean, there's no, there's no chance of Lance Stroll leaving the team well unless he wants to that's the only way he's leaving isn't it really um given that he's basically just glued to, to this to the second uh seat there but what i did like was after qualifying there was a wonderful press conference with fernando alonso and um lance stroll and they were so happy it's such a genuine happiness it's one of those rare moments in f1 where you get to see something really lovely it's up there with um, Kevin Magnussen getting pole position this time last year. And that a superb happiness. Or when a driver wins their first race or maybe even world championship. But you, know, it's, you always get a, a different type of happiness. It's not just like a, yeah, I'd like to thank my fans and I'm so excited. It's a, it's a real joy. And I don't know, it was really nice to see that pure happiness appear again. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see whether or not this was a fluke. If it's not, I can't see Alonso leaving. But if it is, I uh, I don't know. I, my, I predict he won't be there for very much longer as he will be, uh, I don't know, heading back to Ferrari or something to help them there. But we can't hang around with Aston Martin too long simply because we are going to run out of time to cover some of the other topics that we have to cram into this um, podcast. So whilst Aston Martin goes forward, unfortunately, Mercedes goes backwards in a weekend that Toto Wolff was the worst ever, which I think has got a short memory because I'm pretty sure Abu Dhabi 2021 takes that proud spot. But he said the um, Mercedes car performance was inexcusable and it was terrible what a terrible race not only were uh, Hamilton going backwards and Russell going backwards in the race but Russell didn't even finish he had an overheating issue the critical is a critical overheating issue um so it's good job they they retired before that got dangerous so I think we'll we'll kick this off really with what's happened to Mercedes Angus where you you are a Mercedes fan. You are following the base, their target audience by all this. How how are you feeling right now? Um, not great. It's been pretty shocking. Um, I think what really struck me the most in the most recent race was the lack of ability to stop the tyres degrading, which I think has been a real strength of Mercedes over the past couple of years. They've been able to actually manage their tyres well and manage the tyre life well. And it's got them a lot of success, even in the last couple of years where they've had to grind out some good results um, amongst a slower car than the dominant years they had. 
But it was really striking how once the race restarted and you had it got past the uh, the safety car part of the uh, the race on Sunday, they just went backwards. And sure, George Russell had that engine issue, which meant that he had to prematurely retire um, towards the end of the race with 14 laps to go. Even then, he was running in 11th. He was running out of the points at that time. And Hamilton himself just had a really rubbish race. He finished closer to uh, Sonoda in ninth than he did to any of the top five, including the Aston Martins, who's supposedly been struggling massively in recent races. And it's just, I think, that it reflects how Mercedes... It sort of sums up Mercedes over the last couple of years, these last couple of races, in that... They had a couple of races where they drove really well. They got some good results. I mean, there was some real en- encouragement, especially from um, the US Grand Prix where Hamilton overtook uh, Norris right towards the end. He was closing on Verstappen and realistically they could have won that race had they not messed up the strategy a bit. And you thought, right, here we go, we're back in business. But then they followed up with, sure, a great weekend in Mexico where they ran well again, but then a bit of a stinking weekend just now where... They were just slow and not doing great. Interesting development this week where the man who was technical director, Mike Elliott, so he succeeded the previous technical director, James Allison, who has won multiple championships. He worked for Ferrari. He worked for Benetton with Michael Schumacher a long time ago. And he left the team. He was the man who, after uh, Abu Dhabi gate for the new season 2022, the new regulations they came up with. You may remember that car with the skinniest side pods you've ever seen. The the, the zero yeah. side no pods, pods, effectively. Uh, like, it's like, like, it looked a bit like a... Yeah, the no pods. It looked a bit like a, a Coke can that had been uh, squashed in. And he was the man responsible for that. And sure, they gave him another chance to revamp it. But this year, uh, they did a similar design, uh, design against Lewis Hamilton's wishes. And once again, Hamilton's very been very public saying that it was against my wishes. And once again, it um, has ended up with a poor season. And he has mutually left the team. These things are always mutual, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're never like, we haven't mutually agreed yeah, this. We that's just the thing. kicked him out. Yeah. And he, he's upset about that. <laughs> yeah. but um, Mutually agreed. But yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> yeah, interesting times. I think for Mercedes fans, you're just sort of hoping for some light around the tunnel. Lewis Hamilton was asked on the weekend uh, about the chances for next year and he said, you know what, Red Bull are very clear. We won't be able to catch up with them for a couple of years. Um, So, nice and optimistic there. So, um, we'll see how it goes leading into next year. But, um, yeah, not great for Mercedes. George Russell as well. I feel like he's not dropped off a cliff this season, but he's had a a pretty low-key season, hasn't he? He's only got one podium and that was all the way back in Spain. And that race was... Like back in June or something, that was a long, long time ago. Fourth of June, so it's been a bit of a meh season for Mercedes. They've got, I said they've got second. They're looking all right for second place. They've got to maintain a twenty-point advantage over Ferrari for the rest of the season to uh, rubber stamp that. What do you think from the from the outside? From the outside, how do you see Mercedes and how they're going overall? Uh, it's a difficult one because. Again, I, I never, I never like to put too much emphasis on a single race, and it is important to note that this is just, you know, one of many, and there is a reason why Mercedes is in second place. 
But it is worth knowing that 20 points is not many. And, you know, it's, well, it's kind of weird, isn't it, that we have 20 points between fifth and fourth and 20 points between third and second. And so as much as the McLaren versus Aston Martin race is going to be quite exciting, this Mercedes versus Ferrari one is also going to be really exciting. You know, it's kind of it's kind of a good name for a movie, isn't it? You know, Ferrari versus Mercedes. That sort of exciting, you know, gets your heart pounding sort of thing. Um, Hans Zimmer will do the music <laughs> again. And um, if I'm honest, this was unlucky for Ferrari. This was actually a really big hit for Ferrari. I think, to be honest, Mercedes were quite lucky this weekend because Leclerc's car decided they didn't fancy doing the race. If you think about it, getting eighth position and a DNF for Mercedes could have spelt real disaster because of the competitiveness of the Ferrari around this track. This could have been a huge moment for Mercedes and, and Ferrari could have got much, much closer. Could have got an extra sort of five or six, seven, eight points at, towards them. I mean, these things make a massive difference. I mean, I'm not saying Leclerc would only, only scrape by with eight points, but you get my point. Really, you know, it could have been 12 points difference. 20 is just enough that you can hang on to the end. When it's below 10, you're thinking, right, this is this could be all or nothing, really. Um, especially as a sprint week race weekend as well. So, yeah, as much as this was a bad weekend for Mercedes, they were lucky that it was also a terrible weekend for Ferrari as well, with one of their cars being out on a super competitive weekend for them well according by science data anyway and we do know that ferraris were fast around here um this weekend it's just a fact there so yeah I, again mercedes have always been slightly jammy haven't they and yet again they, they might still be so i would say they're not out of it and well it's going to be an unknown completely unknown when we go to las vegas i mean firstly the temperature is going to be weird because it's it was predicted to be four degrees Celsius. Uh, if you don't work in Celsius, if you prefer freedom degrees, I think I think that's in the 30s, maybe 30 something degrees. Um, but yeah, four degrees Celsius. That's cold. Really, really cold. Um, so who knows how the different teams will be able to react to that? I have no idea how how these cars work in the cold. My, my gut feeling is, is they'll struggle to maintain tire temperature. So if you are harder on your tyres, maybe, then you'll be slightly more competitive. So maybe the Mercedes will be good there. I don't know, only time will tell with that one. But uh, to be honest, it's not looking good, is it? Getting rid getting rid of Elliot is not an optimistic sign. Um, and completely scrapping their the two years of development is not a good sign either. But sometimes it's it's things like that that make the, the biggest amount of difference. And... It's, you know, I mean, it worked for Aston Martin, didn't it? They dumped their 2021 design uh, completely. The, do you remember the original Crocodile design as it was dubbed? Um, big square sides. They basically jumped out of that into a Red Bull design and then were really competitive at the beginning of this year. So, you know, I'm not saying... So it's it's, it's definitely not over them this year. Uh, but given what ha what's happened to um mclaren moving forward ferrari it seems to be getting stronger as well the gaps are all closing you have to wonder is luck is it going to be luck and a bit of a fluke that that mercedes get over the line in second and 
at the moment, I would say it's a 50-50 between Ferrari and Mercedes um, for second place. I just, I just wonder, is every year, it's like every year, Angus, we always wonder, it's like, what, what if Ferrari were just less Ferrari, if, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I do still find, if we get, think about Mercedes, I do still find uh, it astonishing that Mercedes, the once dominant force, are currently 400 points behind at the Constructors' Championship to Red Bull. And they're in second place. That gap is just astonishing. Like, yeah, it's completely ridiculous, really, how how much the uh, the tables have turned completely on them. Um, but I guess also think of it one way is that every team has their day. Red Bull had four years in a row where they won the constructors and they were dominant and they won all the drivers' championships as well. And then they spent seven years with nothing and being there or thereabouts and then having off days, having good days. And then they came back eventually. So could the same happen to Mercedes? Potentially. You never know. But um it's Oh, it's, well, I definitely think yeah. so. Yeah. It's the amount of resources behind them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's it is always like that. Um <laughs> to be honest. If I'm going to be completely honest here, I'm quite hopeful that they don't. And that's because my boy Lando Norris and his partner in crime, Oscar Piastri, seems to be hmm. absolutely smashing it. I know it's not been so great for Piastri in the last couple of races. He has struggled a bit and he did have damage in Mexico um, that, that caused him issues. And then in this race, it was just bad luck again. Uh, a rogue tyre after the collision on turn one hit the back of him. and It wasn't really right after, after that. Um, but to be honest, I think Ms. McLaren are as competitive as I've seen them in a, in a very long time. And with Mercedes out the way, I, I would quite like that. <laughs> I quite like them to stay out of the way because because yeah. it was crazy. What what's really crazy about this race is you had Max Verstappen way ahead in the lead, okay, but Lando Norris was only eight seconds behind him, and then it was thirty four seconds until Fernando Alonso. Yeah, if in any other year you'd be like that that M- McLaren is competitive, really competitive. Dominant, one might say, a, t- a 34 second gap between you and the car behind, you know, second and third is a dominant car. It's just really annoying that, that the Red Bull is even more, even more dominant than my precious McLaren. So, yeah, I'm, if I'm going to be selfish for a minute, um, I would quite like Mercedes not to be back on fo- on top form because that means less threats. Um I'm desperate to. I really want to see Lando Norris take a win because he is racking up those that glorious um, tally of number of second place finishes or pole positions without a single win. I mean, even Oscar Piastri has technically got a race win, not a Grand Prix win, but a race win. If you believe that diminishes the statistic of race win, then of course ignore me. Um, I did see that there was a lot of arguments going on about whether or not a sprint race should be counted as a race win or, or whatever. But I'm going to hang on to it because it's the first race win I've had for a very long time. Um, I still look back at Monza. <laughs> Glorious Monza uh, 2021. Um, yeah, so I I, uh, I would like them to stay 
in third, maybe, um, with Ferrari. That'd be really, really handy. But I have a funny feeling, with all the resources behind them, that Mercedes is going to be up there very soon. And, yeah, it was. Ju it's just a matter of time, as you say. They always, all, all teams develop towards the most competitive team. Everything, it's like evolution. Ever evolution always eventually turns into crabs. I don't know if you've seen this. There's, there's basically like four different evolutionary strands that end up looking like crabs. So it's it's the, there's always that joke that Mother Nature loves crabs. Well, Formula One teams are a bit like that. That if there is one completely dominant super form, you will eventually all of them will look like that. So whilst we've had this differentiation between the teams in terms of looks and designs, now by the end we're basically going to have eight you know, eight, nine, maybe 10 copies of the same dominant car. Um, but where it gets really interesting is the things you can't see. And that's when the development resources and extra, uh, uh, you know, extra piece of equipment here or there really make the difference. Because in Formula One, you are allowed to copy anything you can see. You can't, however, well, you're not really supposed to be able to copy. You definitely can't share. That's what got um, Aston Martin in trouble things that you can't necessarily, uh, you can't see. And so, for example, Aston Martin got in trouble because they were found to have the same, I think it was the internal brake ducts as the Mercedes, and there's no way they could see that from the outside and they couldn't prove they developed it on their own. So anyway, there's a long way of saying that Mercedes might well eventually just look like a Red Bull with a Mercedes powertrain. And I think that could be a pretty good force of nature. Well, with Mercedes, I mean... You talk about them being uh, hoping for them to be on the up or see how they do their design. Will McLaren get there first? That's my question because McLaren are having an absolutely storming into the season and they are proving that even though they had a horrible first half of the season, which is summarised by this one of my favourite stats I found this year. If I asked you, Tristan, which driver... I've probably hinted at it with the, the way I'm phrasing this, but if I asked you yep. which, which driver... Uh, on the grid this year has finished in 17th on the most occasions um who would be the answer to that question i i'm i'm going to go with oh this is so difficult uh logan Sargent. no but, but who is it this is the quality content people uh, tune in for <laughs> Um, it's, Lando, it's Lando Norris. It's Lando Norris. <laughs> it's Lando, Lando Norris. Norris. Yeah, he finished seventeenth in Bahrain, Saudi, uh, Miami, and Spain. Remarkable, that isn't it? Considering now he's absolutely racking up podiums on a regular basis, and he's got I think seven or eight podiums now this season. Um, yeah, wow. Which is, which is ridiculous because he's really, he's really like I think he's really stepped up this year because sure the last two years he utterly destroyed Daniel <laughs> Ricciardo. But I think this year is the year where he's really emerged as a top-level driver, like fully. He's um, He's got a strong challenge this year from Piastri, who I think has actually tailed off a little bit in the last couple of races. Um, I sure, think he's bad luck. Sure, he's had a bit of bad luck. I'll give you that with the <laughs> what happened in Brazil um, and also uh, previous couple of races. He got uh, knocked out at the start in um, Austin, didn't he? Because he collided with Ocon, I think. Um but I think it's overall his it's qualifying pace has tailed off a little bit, I'd say. But the point with Norris, yeah, he's um he's really taking advantage of the qualifying pace and the race pace this McLaren now has. I know that some people are saying that McLaren could be strong contenders for the championships next year if they start well. 
I'll believe it when I see it because the last two years, especially, they've had poor starts. Remember um, last year in 2022 when Norris got, I always remember, he got seventh in Saudi and he did that interview on TV where he said, well, I didn't expect to finish seventh. I thought he'd come like 17th. Uh, very upbeat. Uh, but the car was genuinely that poor at that time. And this year, two seventeenths in the road to start the year. Things were looking down the dumps once again. But they've really brought it back. Really, really have. They've developed exceptionally well and they, they sort of found that sweet spot around Austria and since then they've just flown really and hence why they've gone from battling with Alpine and Williams in the constructors to overtaking Aston Martin and not they're not going to finish a million miles away from Ferrari and Mercedes quite possibly. It's been a really storming, storming end of the season. The one downside is Lando Norris is uh, on the verge of some, not on the verge, but he's, he's uh, getting towards some records Possibly. I believe he is uh, close to the record for the most podiums without a race win in Formula 1, which I think is held by... Do you all remember Nick Heidfeld? You've met him, Uh, haven't you? You've met Nick Heidfeld. I have. I have met Nick Heidfeld. Well remembered, I remember when you you sent us that picture of um, him, uh, Goodwood... Uh, You met was it Goodwood? Yes, well, I met him at Festival of Speed. Nice man. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. I didn't mention it to him though. I will point that out. I was like, oh, hi there, you man with the most podiums for a win. Um, I decided I'd, I know, be more friendly than that. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, that's fair enough. Um, He's drawing with um Nick Highfield, by the way. If you'd like, they both have thirteen podiums for that win. Yeah, and thirteen podiums, one hundred and two starts as well. So um. It's one of those where I think those these statistics are good. We had this um, chat the other day about Max Verstappen getting his 17th win of the season out of 20. The fact that these win records and statistic records are going to be massively skewed by the fact that there's more races in the season now. And that also means if your car's not up to it, that's more races for you not to win. Like, sure, Nico Hülkenberg has done 204 races and not won a single one. But... Has he been? Has he, is he awful? No, he's he's not. He's he's far from awful. He's a very decent driver, but you know he's. <laughs> it's just the fact that there's he will have race after race, season after season, where he's in a bottom half car, so he's never going to win. Charles Leclerc has got five career wins, the hundred and twenty three races like that. On the face of it, that seems awful. You'd think, God, this guy must be like pretty average at best, but he's he's just not quite been in the front running car ever um at all in mm. his formula 1 career other than maybe a bit last year um and L- Norris is having a similar thing where he's now getting into higher achieving cars but he's not quite getting that that final win and even this weekend he drove very he drove exceptionally well on the race he actually he did what um I feel like the commentators reacted to it in a certain way because it has genuinely been a while since Max Verstappen had to defend into a corner. And that sounds... Yes, that sounds yeah, got l- within one-tenth of Max. Yeah, it sounds, ludic- <laughs> it sounds ludicrous, but I can't remember the last time Verstappen had to take the inside line on a corner to defend his position. It's been that long. But yeah, it, he, was, he, it was a crazy bit. Yeah, he had to do but it. He can remember, though, he can only do it once. That was So, you know, watching it, I was like, okay, fair enough. You know, he's got within a tenth. Ah, oh, he hasn't right quite got got him. And then that was it. He fell back, right back, sort of within within a lap. He was well over a second, two seconds behind Max. So uh, what I would say is, 
the way you know it's a good car, Max's car is a good car, is because you know, Norris pushed that his tires, he pushed the McLaren to the absolute extreme yeah. and got within a tenth. And then Max just sort of kicked him behind and kept going at that speed because the the Red Bull doesn't destroy its tires. It's just so efficient with its aero. It's so efficient with its tires that he can just, you know, continue going at, you know, whatever that speed is. You know, Norris can get up to that speed, but it's like, it's like, you know, when you do a flat out run, you're sprinting as hard as you can. Imagine that you were sprinting as hard as you can. The bloke next to you is just jogging. That's yeah. what I feel like this is like. And I think we're getting closer with McLaren. I think McLaren is getting closer to getting on par. But there is a bit of a way off just yet. The fact that Norris only finished eight seconds behind is an achievement. I think Max is finding it funny as well. Because in the um, in the post-race interviews and press conferences, they <laughs> Max made a joke and he's, uh, in response to a question about whether or not he felt under threat from Norris. He was like, well, it's like handing, holding out a cookie to a child and then taking it away. So you know, clearly Max doesn't think he's under that much of a threat. Yeah, they just they are super dominant and it's going to be a while, which is why it's uh, maybe our expectations have lowered that much that we've gone from wanting race-winning battles to, ooh, he had to go take the inside line into turn one. That was nice. That was nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, w- it was a shame that that was the last we saw of the battle. The Verstappen eventually was able to stretch his legs and get an eight-second gap to Norris by the end. And maybe we should, I think, perhaps one of our closing topics, we can acknowledge, I don't know if it was on our original list of things to talk about, we can acknowledge that it kind of went unnoticed, but the record for most wins in a season has been broken for the second year in a row. Um, Max Verstappen with his 17th win out of 20, which is quite astonishing. Um, that means that now, out of the last 43 races, if we go back to Abu Dhabi 2021, that means Verstappen has won 34 of them, which is absolutely remarkable. And you, it makes it, it makes you wonder, actually, Sure, there have been dominant spells in Formula 1 history, but has there been one this dominant in terms of sheer volume of races? He's won 79% of races over the last two seasons, which is utterly like mind-boggling. And you talk about all these drivers um, of immense talent like Russell, Leclerc, Norris, Sainz, Piastri, uh, Perez, all these drivers. I reckon if you added up the wins, it, obviously, if you take out Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, because they have a high quality, a high amount of wins, but if you take out, other than Hamilton and Alonso, if you add up the rest of the grid and their race wins, I think Max would have more than them. I honestly think, I could, if I did the maths right now, he's been that dominant over the years that other drivers haven't had the chance. The only one would be Bottas, because he has a few wins, and Ricardo, but otherwise... Verstappen has 52 wins, whilst the rest of the grid, minus Alonso and Hamilton, probably have about 40 to 50. So it's just astonishing how dominant it is. And whilst we can moan and groan about possibly uh, a dominant side to Formula One at the moment and a dominant driver, at the end of the day, like we sometimes have to sit back and appreciate brilliance and just pure dominance and 
a sportsman or sportswoman being at the top of their game and being unstoppable because it does happen sometimes yeah absolutely it does happen and th- what you what you were sort of grasping at i think um is the highest percentage of wins in an f1 season and if you, if you would like to know he's broken that record as you rightly said um 77.3% beforehand it was a record sent set in 1952 by Ascari, yeah. very famous racing driver, um, and he had a win percentage of 75. percent Wow! So I mean, that's that's a, an absolutely ridiculous um, stat, and and also weird because at the time, um, so Ascari got six out of eight races. Huh. <laughs> that's why he got so 75 percent. Eight races, God, that was yeah, that's not that many. Um, Michael Schumacher, if you'd like to know, is currently in third. Um, taking 13 out of 18 wins with a 72.2%. Very good. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's, I mean, these names, these names up there, if you'd like to know, if you look at the top 10, right, um, Hamilton is only mentioned once. He's currently in eighth with 11 out of 17 races won. Verstappen is up there twice. He's in sixth and first. Wow. Right. The, the, the other name, up there twice. Sebastian Vettel? No, but you are right. Vettel is on there. Vettel is on there. He's currently fifth, 13 out of 19 races, 2013. That was a dominant season. It's the other name that's on there twice is Michael Schumacher. So third and ninth. There you go. So if you were ever wondering that is Verstappen going to be you know, listed as one of the F1 greats? Well, he's already less listed amongst the F1 greats in many different statistics. Yeah, Max Verstappen. Just, it's, it's crazy how Verstappen has gone from Young and promising driver who was on the verge of uh, doing something special with the world title to now being not just modern great, but all-time great, arguably. Because sure, it helps. Yeah, it sure it he- sure helps that his car is unbelievable, but he's just very good. He's very good at being able to... He's just the full package. He used to be, he used to be um, aggressive but and quick, but too aggressive if you know what I mean. But now he is calculated. He judges when to go for an overtake. His time management's exceptional. I have ne- I can't remember the last time I saw him do a bad start off the line. Like, he always seems to nail it every time, whether he's in first or second. Um, Bracecraft, he's toned down his aggression, but he's still, like... I remember... Well, I don't remember, but I've seen videos. Michael Schumacher was notoriously, like, <laughs> on the ragged edge, and you'd have drivers complain about him. Verstappen's got a bit of that as well. He will he will push you. He will not let you uh let you get an inch at all when he's defending from you. He's like he's completely committed to the sport, but also he's he doesn't make it his absolute life. I get the impression he has like he has a sim racing team, doesn't he, off track. He has a has a lot going on in his uh his personal life in terms of just to keep him busy and keep him fresh. Um Yeah, just a complete all round package and yeah, we can. We've had this discussion many times before, but we can see him, you know, going up and up and up in those rankings. Two more wins this year, and he overtakes Sebastian Vettel, and then he's only got Hamilton and Schumacher to catch. And uh, it'll be a while because he'll, he'd have to win another forty races, but he'll probably do that by the end of next year. And so ends another episode of the Max Verstappen Celebratory Podcast. I mean, F1 in review. Thank you very much for listening if you've got to this point. 
Um, and what a couple of weeks it has been, a triple header of F1. We have no race coming up uh, this weekend, but we will be going to a brand new one just after that, Las Vegas, where it's expected to be cold, but also a bit of a novelty as well. They're already planning the pre-show, so uh, tune in from Wednesday. I mean, Wednesday next week for uh, the beginning of the F1 weekend. Let's hope the actual race can live up to the expectations that have been put upon this particular circuit. But next week, we've got plenty more to discuss, including the rise of the of the lower divisions, such as uh, Alpha Tauri's return to the top, Daniel Ricciardo returning back in, and also Perez's performance increase as well. Perhaps the pressure has finally been lifted off him, given what Christian Horner has been saying this week. But until next time, thank you very much for listening. Do follow us on our social media accounts. That's X, formerly Twitter. We also post short snippets of these podcasts in one minute convenient bites on tiktok and of course you can listen to us and follow us on your favorite podcasting platform or on youtube if you prefer the audio visual side of things but until next time thank you very much for tuning and we'll speak to you next week